Welcome to Sci-Fi, the podcast for medical students and aspiring psychiatrists. Working my way to getting a black belt in procrastination, this is Jason. And I'm so sorry that the podcast has been delayed. I want to say that work has been extremely busy, but really I just fell into the rabbit hole of virtual YouTubers and now follow like 15 of them in their screaming schedules. As ever, I am a core site trainee at the Oxley's NHS Trust in London, and joining me is Maoli, who's been busy doing adult things. Oh god. Oh, welcome. I'm a clinical teaching fellow in the east of England. Today we'll be talking about personality disorders and seeing how many Jason has along the way. Spoiler, it's all of them. And in a way, that's true for all of us. And I'll explain why in a bit and totally not defending myself. (laughs) As usual, we'll kick off with a basic understanding of clinical terms. So, what is personality? Derived from the Greek word persona, which isn't just a popular Japanese game franchise, it refers to masks used in Greek theatre dramas, and in current times, it means the public image of one's personality. There are many theories of personality, but they all consider two main dimensions. The first dimension is dispositional versus situationalism. In other words, personality is an enduring inconsistent feature, or differing with and influenced by situations. The other dimension is nomothetic and ideographic views, which is the discussion of whether traits are shared and comparable, so that's nomothetic, uh, or unique to individuals and non-comparable or ideographic. Personally, I think that personality is probably somewhere in the middle. It's functional and flexible enough for us to act in certain ways in specific situations, while being stable enough for it to be recognizable to others. It wouldn't really be a psych podcast if we didn't talk about weird stuff that people came up with in the past. For med students, it's worth knowing that personalities have been classed in a categorical fashion. Like the Hippocratic concept of the four humors. Huh? What now? So, racist humor, clean humor, nah, I'm just kidding. Essentially, the body contained four different humors. Black bile, uh, also known as melancholy, which is where the word melancholy came from. Melon being black and collie meaning bile. Uh, Yellow bile, phlegm, and blood, with imbalances in the humors leading to different personalities. But there definitely should have been a fifth humor for sperm. Uh, Didn't physicians back in the day taste the humors to make a diagnosis? Exactly, it was a huge missed opportunity. Oh no. Um, I guess while categorization is still followed by the ICD-10 and DSM-5, I don't think it has anything to do with an ancient Greek idea of temperaments, but let's talk about that a little bit later on. Fine, let's go on to trait theory then. Okay, traits are defined as habitual patterns of behaviour, thought and emotions. Traits are stable over time, consistent over situations, and can be expressed differently between two people. Personality can then be explained as a combination of traits that influence how an individual thinks, feels, and acts in response to a particular stimulus. The Big Five Personality Traits is an example of trait theory model. How this came about was that a group of researchers surveyed a large number of people to obtain verbal descriptors for human behavior. They then reduced the list of descriptors and then grouped the remaining traits by factor analysis in order to find the underlying factors of personality. You may have heard of the Big Five as the Ocean Model or Canoe Model, and it stands for openness, conscientiousness, 
extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. These acronyms really butters my toast because whichever one you use, they are still ocean or sea related. Mmm, chef's kiss. Right. It's also good to know that there is no such thing as a bad uh, trait. For example, neuroticism, which is typically seen as a bad trait, is quite prevalent in doctors. This trait can make you feel more pressured and thus give you a drive to work harder and achieve or get things done. You can imagine that if someone lacks neuroticism, they may not feel pressured or driven to push themselves as much. Listeners, I just want to make it clear that we clearly know that Maoli has mispronounced neuroticism. But if you were in my shoes and you've heard him say it a thousand times and also mispronounces eroticism, then you'd understand. But I digress back to the explanation. So, yes, agreed. So sometimes traits aren't always clear cut. There's always good and bad sides to a trait like neuroticism. I'm pretty blasé about work and studies, but I must have cried in the shower for a good 30 minutes when I found out my favorite manga author, Kentaro Miura, died before completing his series. Oh, you could say you went pretty berserk. Hey! Too soon, buddy. Way, 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 way too soon. Sorry. It's fine. So... Now that we understand what a personality is, we need to understand when does personality become disordered, or in other words, an issue? The answer lies in the three Ps, which yeah, are... Yeah, three Ps! Three Ps! <laughs> which are problematic, pervasive, and persistent. What was that? I like uh, it. I like my Ps. Okay. Uh, Fish and chips every time. Oh, peas all the time. <laughs> so problematic. Peas, regular peas. Uh, go on, let's get back on. Problematic uh, is uh, sort of distress and impairing function. Pervasive means it occurs in most parts of life, so home, work, relationships, whatever else. Persistent uh, means it starts from adolescence and continues into adulthood. If you want a more direct definition to pull out your pocket for question time, it's a deeply ingrained and maladaptive way of behaving, thinking, and feeling, leading to distress and impaired personal as well as social functioning. The ICD-10 also has an easy to remember diagnostic criteria with the mnemonic report. So that's relationships affected, enduring, pervasive, onset in childhood or adolescence, uh, results in distress and trouble in occupational or social performance. As you can see, the, the report mnemonic is clearly inferior to the three Ps due to the clear lack of Ps. Uh, but there's a lot of overlap anyway, I think, so it's I think all pervasive is there, isn't it? Report? Yeah, but like one uh, P versus three P's and f- five extra letters. Oh, it's not. God. It's not good. It's not good. Oh. Um, uh, right. So now that we've covered the definition of personality disorder, we have to figure out the why of uh, how it happens. Personality disorders are best understood as developmental disorders caused by the interaction between nature and nurture. Yep, where genetic vulnerability meets stressful childhood environments. Repeated exposure to chronic stress, fear, and hostility affects brain development. If you want to nerd out, it's part- it, it's, it's, it affects particularly orbital frontal cortex, limbic system, hypothalamus, and the hippocampus. Uh, which mainly regulates negative emotions. Additionally, 
being raised in risky environments form insecure attachments to carers and molds personal beliefs about the social world and their capacity for self-reflection and empathy. Uh, personality disorders, or PDs, as we'll probably abbreviate it from now on, um, tend to present in late childhood or early adolescence, which is around the time that children begin to develop social networks outside of the family. Many children with early behavioural difficulties improve without any intervention, and then you have some whose problems continue into adulthood, uh, such as that seen in antisocial PD. A common risk factor for PD is early childhood maltreatment or neglect by carers. Physical abuse and neglect are associated with antisocial PD development, while sexual abuse is reported as being more closely linked to self-harming behaviours and borderline PD. PDs can be also acquired in adulthood when there's neural or psychological damage to the systems that regulate negative feelings, so stuff like fear, anger, threat... Um, acquired feed, uh, PDs can happen after traumatic brain injuries, extensive psychological trauma, and as a consequence of chronic mental illness as well. Likewise, some PDs can also manifest when a person engages in particular adult social roles, like being a parent or a spouse. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I like I like that being like taking up a role of being a parent or a spouse is has a similar effect to extensive psychological trauma and mental illness uh that's very insightful but also this feels like a personal attack what are you trying to say dude i'd be an excellent daddy that's just you projecting mate um but there's also the fact that you try and make every person you meet call you daddy and that genuinely worries me well, that's just because I have a really big heart, and fatherly love doesn't discriminate, my child. I'm still not calling you daddy. Damn it. Now, as mentioned during our little pointless chat about the four humours... Um... <clears throat> five humours! Five humours, count them, Mowley. One, two, three, four, sperm, okay? <laughs> as I was saying, both the ICD-10 and DSM-5 continue the categorical approach to PDs by grouping them into three clusters, A, B, and C. Yeah, sorry, I just need to interrupt this really quickly. Should the new title of episode 7 be 1, 2, 3, 4, Sperm? Like, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's really catchy. It'll be, it'll be personality disorders, the four humors, 1, 2, 3, 4, Sperm. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> oh god one two three four sperm okay no that's fine i'll leave it i i, I think i think that's more that's more uh refined sorry i'll carry on i'm sure there are many ways to remember the clusters but a slightly more politically correct one i would use is www the weird the wild and the worried and if that still sounds quite offensive uh just know that the other the other way to remember it is the mad, the bad, and the sad. Uh, so that's probably worse. Mm. I'll just briefly explain the typical traits of HPD, but bear in mind that this isn't particularly useful for clinical practice, and you'll see why when I explain how the ICD-11 criteria changes things. But just in case your med school is slightly behind the curve or wants you to know it from a historical perspective, we'll just dive in. Sure. In cluster A, or the weird category, there lies paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypal PDs. 
If I had to pick one word to describe each, paranoid PD would be accusatory, schizoid would be aloof, and schizotypal would be awkward. Uh, again, listeners, this was another tough recording. <laughs> Molly kept saying a loaf instead a loaf. Instead no, of no, I, I, I said a loaf, <laughs> like a, a loaf, loaf of a, bread. A loaf. Yeah, that's fried. That's fine. Um, okay, oh. I'll carry on. Cool. Starting with paranoid PD, people who have this tend to have difficulty confiding and trusting in friends and family, while also reading threats and danger in everyday situations, innocent comments, or even just casual looks from others. Yeah, I think sort of Rick from Rick and Morty, you know, unforgiving, suspicious, possessive of Morty, uh, excessive, self-importance, conspiracy theories, tenacious sense of rights, the list goes on. Yeah, oh, which reminds me, I should start watching season five already. Um, heard it's pretty good. Mm. But... To be on to be honest, Rick is so self-destructive and unstable that you could make an argument for him for any personality disorder, really. I see that. Uh, Nets is schizoid PD. Here, people prefer spending time alone. They struggle forming close relationships, have limited pleasure in activities or little interest in sexual activities and intimacy. They can even come across as emotionally cold through difficulty relating to people. I guess something like Shrek pre-Fiona would be quite suitable. So limited emotional range, little sexual interests, as far as we know, I guess. Apparent indifference to praise or criticism, lacks close relationships, likes one-player activities, ignores normal social conventions. Um, and also another one I, I just, you know, that just came to my head would be Squidward. I think he's quite schizoid. Ooh. Right, schizotypal next. People can experience distorted thoughts or perceptions, but never to the extent that you would call it a true delusion or hallucination or even psychosis. People with this personality disorder are eccentric, socially withdrawn, have magical thinking or believe in mystical powers or sixth sense, and uh, get fairly anxious in social situations. Oh, oh, uh, remember Luna Lovegood uh, from Harry Potter? Eccentric, magical thinking, she would fit the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, other examples uh, would also be Willy Wonka from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and uh, Pinkie Pie from My Little Pony, just for all you <laughs> bronies and Pegasisters out there. Um, yes. Also, the ICD-10 lists this under schizophrenia-like presentation in terms of category, while DSM-5 puts schizotypal in the personality disorder section. But again, I don't think there's much difference. Then with Cluster B, or the wild, uh, there is antisocial, borderline, or also called uh, EUPD, or Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder. Uh, there's also histrionic and narcissistic PDs as well. These could be remembered as bad, borderline, flamboyant, uh, and best in that order, as we will explain in a bit. Histrionic PDs are characterized by attention-seeking behavior and always wanting to be in the limelight. They are dependent on the approval of others, often being dramatic and emotional, considering relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. Uh, like sort of cinderades in anime, I guess. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think there's a little bit of emotional instability there, but yes, sort of very dramatic flair, very attention-seeking. Uh, and mm. just, you know, just on the top of my head, uh, Sundere's would include, like, Vegeta from Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Asuka Langley from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Tosaka Rin from uh, Fate Stay Night. But also, if you want a more sort of American flair, uh, well, technically Canadian, but uh, you also have Wade Wilson or Deadpool. Um, with EUPD uh, as it's defined in ICD-10 or Borderline as it's called in DSM-5, there's a long-term pattern of unstable and chaotic relationships, often alternating between extremes of idealization and uh, devaluation. People struggle from a feeling of real or imagined abandonment and a disturbed sense of identity and self-image. They also have intense, uncontrollable emotional reactions, often rapidly shifting between emotional states and leading to impulsive or reckless behaviors. Wait, where, does the Hulk have EUPD? He's explosive, impulsive, outbursts of anger, unable to sort of consider the consequences of his actions. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, like, yes, less the Bruce Banner sort of persona, more the Hulk, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but I would, but my fave would be Bojack Horseman from the series Bojack, or hmm. even uh, Himiko Toga from My Hero Academia. What's uh, the so, Japanese can, way of saying that? Uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna weeb out on a podcast, dude. You just okay. if you want to do okay. that, do that yourself. But. Um, but yes, as I said, Himiko Toga from Fine Boku no Hero Academia um, are uh, you can see the sort of impulsive characteristics, outbursts of violence, unstable relationships, and also self harm. Solid. Um, now, antisocial or dissocial PD uh, is marked by a pervasive and persistent disregard for moral, social norms, and the rights and feelings of others. There is a lack of guilt and remorse in exploiting and manipulating people for their own gain or pleasure. Some people do this with, you know, superficial charm, whilst others use intimidation and violence. Similar to borderline PD, there's often impulsivity and recklessness, failing to consider or outright disregarding the consequences of, of their actions. Aggression, hostility, and poor temper regulation can lead to them lashing out violently, disregarding others and their own safety. Yeah, think sort of Joker from Batman. Yeah, or sort of Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Hmm. <clears throat> So moving on from that, we have narcissistic personality disorder. This isn't a diagnosis in ICD-10, but it appears in the DSM-5. Here, persistent grandiosity, an excessive need for admiration, and a lack of empathy for others dominate. Arrogance, a personal sense of superiority, and a desire to establish abusive power and control over others can be seen. This is different from just being self-confident. Um, instead valuing themselves over others regardless of their actual status or achievements, like Gaston from uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, lastly, Cluster C. In other words, the worried. Uh, has anencastic, anxious or avoidant and dependent personality disorders. 
Anencastic PD is like OCD, but in PD clothing. I call it OCD PD, which probably just adds unnecessary confusion. Um, the technical way to think of it is obsessive compulsive disorder personality disorder. I can see where this is confusing. I'll just call it anencastic PD rather than OCD PD. So the technical way to think of it uh, is anencastic PD is egocentric, whereas obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD is egodystonic. Uh, and that helps. Well, egodystonic uh, means. Uh, responses and behaviors that go against the person's beliefs or goals. So, if anencastic PD, they want to keep things the way they are because it's egocentric. While people with OCD are quite burdened by these intrusive thoughts and want them to stop. Hmm. Um, people with anencastic PD have obsessive uh, obsessions with rules, schedules, and order, a need for perfectionism. This devotion to productivity ironically affects efficiency, as well as personal relationships and leisure time. They are also very rigid on matters of morality and ethics, finding it hard to delegate responsibility to others, and have a restricted expression of emotion, which stems from a need to control their environment and themselves. Would you say that Sheldon Cooper has anencastic PD? He adheres to rules. He's inflexible. Yeah, I mean, I think he's more sort of like on the autism spectrum, but that's mm. another episode entirely. But yes, somewhere along along those lines. And next, we have anxious slash avoidant PD, and it can be summed up by one trait: the avoidance of what you're afraid of as a coping mechanism. They are preoccupied with their own shortcomings and often view themselves with contempt. Loss and social rejection are so painful that these individuals would choose to be alone rather than risk trying to connect with others. There is commonly a strong desire for close relationships, but they feel unworthy of this and often shame themselves for wanting to begin them. Even if they do manage to form relationships, they preemptively end it out of fear of the relationship failing or them getting rejected. <clears throat> know any one of these traits, Mali San? Uh, 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 perhaps Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, not the person I was targeting, but yes. So Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. So you know, in earlier episodes, really, you know, frightened of everything, runs away, relies on Pooh a bit. Uh, <laughs> Pooh is in the bear, not <laughs> not feces. <laughs> Sorry, let me let me do that again. So quite afraid, you know, avoids relationships, just, just, just wanting to be by themselves. Not because, you know, they are lonely, but they're just afraid. I think that's what it is. Um, and lastly, dependent personality disorder, which, as you would have guessed, is characterized by pervasive psychological dependence on others. This uh, dependence is for both uh, emotional and physical needs, being una unable to make decisions by themselves as they need constant approval from others. People tend to show passive and clingy behavior, putting the need and opinions of others above their own, and when alone, experience feelings of isolation and loneliness. On the whole, they are pessimistic, introverted, and sensitive to criticism and rejection. So a pretty good example of this would be Cinderella and her dependence 
whether emotional or physical, on the stepsisters and the stepmother. Like, why why wouldn't you just leave? I mean, I I it's I don't know. Cinderella really triggers me. I'm just like she's she's young. She she's functional. She can get a job anywhere. She's already working like sixteen hours a day, just cooking and cleaning. It don't make sense. But anyways, um, what we have talked about so far is a general flavor of each PD, so that you have an idea. Specific diagnostic criteria exist for each PD, but that's not really what's important. At the end of the day, what you, what you should get out of this is to be able to identify the overall personality of a person. If they meet the three Ps or the report uh, acronym of PD diagnosis, then try and get a feel of where the problems are rooted. Is it the weirdness, the wildness, or the worrying? In other words, cluster A, B, or C. Obviously, there are some people who may disagree with me about the importance of memorizing the criteria, but I do feel that strict categories and putting people in boxes doesn't really help management at all. Well, this is also in keeping with the new direction of PD diagnosis in ICD-11. Their approach to PDs focuses on the impairment of self and interpersonal personality functioning, which may be classified according to the degree of severity, which are personality difficulty, mild, moderate, or severe. Yep, instead of the categorical approach of arbitrary diagnostic thresholds, extensive overlap and limited clinical utility, it's about the global evaluation of personal functioning. Severity is based on how many areas of personality function it affects. So like the sense of self, relationships, behavior modulation, impulse control, uh, and also the presence of self-harm or harm to others. Effects on personal, family, social, educational, as well as occupational function. So very, very many things. As personality functioning can be impaired in many ways, uh, as Jason's just listed, uh, ICD-11 has also added on the prominent trait qualifiers to describe the specific pattern of traits that contribute to dysfunction, and there are five of them in total. I think of them as a negative ocean model, or the negative big five traits model. So there's a negative affectivity, which is a tendency to experience a broad range of negative emotions. The second one is dissociality. Um, It's the disregard for the rights and feelings of others, encompassing both self-centeredness and a lack of empathy. You've also got detachment, a tendency to maintain interpersonal distance and emotional distance. Then there's disinhibition, uh, which is a tendency to act rashly uh, based on immediate external or internal stimuli um, without consideration for sort of potential negative consequences. And finally, anencastia, a narrow focus on one's rigid standard of perfection and of right and wrong, and on controlling one's own and others' behavior and controlling situations to ensure conformity to these standards. You could also remember these uh, as the mnemonic ASIAN, A-S-I-A-N, which stands for (laughs) anencastia, social issues, inhibition issues, attachment issues, and negative emotions. You know, just a thought. You love your mnemonics and acronyms and all that stuff, don't you? Yes. Um, (laughs) I also like ASIAN. 
but that's another <laughs> thing entirely. Um, so, adding confusion, ICD-11 has retained the borderline patent qualifier, which is the same as the ICD-10 criteria for EUPD. Though this is mainly due to the prominence of the diagnosis as well as familiar sort of indicators for choosing psychotherapy in line with established theories and treatment uh, manuals. I think ultimately this is an approach in the right direction for PD management. Studies have shown that traits are resistant to change, but not the impairment related to the trait. In other words, patients and people in general tend to stay essentially who they are even if successful treatment helps them adapt who they are to their environment more effectively. Treatment is therefore focused on what the PD does to the patient rather than changing the trait itself. If, a, For example, if a person has disinhibition as a trait qualifier, then the focus would be on reducing impulsivity through an emotional regulation approach and mindfulness. Let's briefly touch on assessment. We'll keep it short as we've covered most of this in previous episodes, really. In history of presenting complaint, if self-harm or attempted suicide, check for the 12Bs. If you're not too sure what these are, have a listen to our first episode. With past psychiatric history, explore comorbid, psychotic and affective illness, uh, substance and alcohol misuse, uh, also eating disorders, self-harm, risky behaviours, and attitudes to sort of seeking professional help. Then in past medical history, this is the time to ask about organic chronic illness uh, that can also be a heavy burden in some of these patients. After that is drug and alcohol. So look into current medications and what has worked in the past for any symptoms. With family history, ask about family members with personality disorders, but just remember phrasing is very important. Mm. Um, also, disturbances that might have led to a fearful or stressful environment, so like psychiatric illnesses, alcoholism, or drug misuse. Use the personal history part of the history taking to supplement the picture, so childhood, family dynamics, and school life or work. Things like early hospitalization or serious illness in childhood or family are important. Also, detailed accounts of childhood and adolescence, friendships, whether there was any rule-breaking or physical violence at school, family dynamics, domestic abuse or substance misuse at home, as well as history of neglect, physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. You could also look for experience or separations or loss of attachments. Were the parents affectionate or frightening? Then in the forensic history, look out for a record of physical harm to others before the age of 15. Has this been escalating in severity? Is deception a key feature in the offence? These things can suggest sort of antisocial traits. And in social history, identify positive relationships uh, with peers and other adults outside the home. See if positive resilience factors uh, in terms of relationships, work, sports, and uh, if they exist. As with most psych histories, a collateral from friends, relatives, or other healthcare professionals is important. For PD, it is essential for a valid diagnosis. This allows you to work out if what you see before you is typical for that given person or unusual. And I think to add to that as well, um, by nature, I think PD patients tend to have quite a skewed perspective or view of the world. 
But also, this may extend to the family or their friends because the whole birds of a feather flock together thing. Be very mindful about who you choose to get a collateral because some of the, for example, you know, you typically ask a family member or a parent, but that parent might be implicit in sort of abusing them when they were younger. So make sure that you're aware of what's happening in their lives before choosing a person. Good point. Then in the mental state examination or MSc, it's key to tease out presentations that can mimic other psychiatric illnesses. So paranoid schizoid and schizotypal PDs or your cluster A ones in essence can have features that look like psychosis. Whereas EUPD or histrionic PD can mimic mania. And then you've got sort of anxious, avoidant and dependent PDs, which can share features with depression and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. With personality disorders, there's rarely a clear psychotic phenomena, but it can sometimes be quite hard to untangle them from symptoms the patient expresses. Patients might say they hear voices, have persecutory thoughts, or even oscillate wildly between positive and negative emotions but they may not display these during the assessment. Though things can get more complicated if they're under the influence of substances or drugs. And, you know, I, I, I think you should see each patient with, with an open mind, but sometimes there are patients that, have that clearly have secondary gain or are trying to escape the law or malingering. And <laughs> sometimes they don't even try to, to sell it convincingly. Um, there was this patient who I was assessing and they just walk up to the room and they go, I'm psychotic doctor. I hear voices. I see a dog. I see a dog on the floor. And he just goes over and sort of does this pantomime of like petting this dog. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, needless to say, it was really hard to keep a straight face throughout the um, examination. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I digress. Um, and... While I've mentioned that for PD patients, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach, there are still some general points to consider in planning and treating them. What sort of disorder is it? And is there any comorbid illness? It's very important to figure out when a patient is presenting with PD and when they aren't, as there's a lot of overlap in terms of the way symptoms present, as mentioned in the differential set by Maoli. Once you've figured out the dominant traits or issues, you have to then match the therapeutic uh, interventions to the disorder. The rate of progress for treatment is slow, ranging from months to years, uh, with follow-up being key. A consistent and good therapeutic relationship is crucial for positive outcomes. The overall aim is to allow the patient to take responsibility and to improve the understanding of their own minds and the minds of others. While there are national guidelines for the treatment of borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, it is best to look at the overall symptom and behavior pattern, as it's very rarely a single PD category, and you have to work out a systematic problem-based approach. Before getting into the biopsychosocial approach, we've got to talk about risks. The decision of treating them as an inpatient or an outpatient is a difficult one to make, and the type of risks differ based on which personality traits are predominant. Like how in EUPD patients, there's an increased risk of self-harming behaviours and completed suicide, 
whilst in a minority of PD patients, like in antisocial PD, they pose a significant harm to others instead. Try to identify patterns. If it's happened a few times, it is likely to happen again. And take a longitudinal view of their actions. And identify, have they always been this way, or is this escalating? Any history of violence should be taken seriously, including family violence of partners, children, and parents. The 2007 changes to the UK Mental Health Act has perhaps made it easier to legally detain people with personality disorders, as it's no longer necessary to categorise them as a type of mental disorder in essence, and a lack of a treatability clause as well. As long as appropriate treatment is available to either treat or prevent a deterioration of the mental health disorder, then it's considered sort of legal uh, to sort of admit someone. Here, treatment can be very broadly defined uh, in terms of sort of nursing interventions and psychological therapies. It's definitely a very difficult ethical and legal conundrum about whether it is right to detain someone with antisocial PD or borderline PD purely on the basis of risks to themselves and others if no specific treatment programs are available to them. But when treatments or interventions are available, we categorize these into bio, psycho, and social approaches. From the bio point of view, we have to consider medications. Now, are these particularly helpful in personality disorders, Jason? Well, yes and no. With PD patients, comorbid psychiatric illnesses do exist, and so treating these problems via medications would be helpful. A lot of the time, the PD diagnosis takes up a person's entire identity, masking other treatable mental illnesses. So watch out for stuff like psychosis, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and make sure you rule these things out. In patients with only personality disorder, there's limited evidence for pills in terms of overall outcome, but it is used to improve symptoms. Antipsychotics and mood stabilizers have been used for impulsivity and emotional dysregulation, while antidepressants may be useful for symptoms of anxiety. In psycho, it comes to tailoring the methods to the problems experienced by the individual. So problems of impulsivity and mood dysregulation may benefit from a cognitive approach, whereas withdrawal, hostility and exploitation may need a reflective pro-social approach. There is limited evidence to how effective psychotherapy is, but sometimes the presence of a therapeutic relationship is in itself helpful. At this point, you guys probably know the spiel for the social aspect, but we'll go through it again anyway. Always consider employment, education, accommodation, benefits and support in the community. Abuse is a fairly common theme in personality disorders, and asking about this and offering support may make a huge difference in your life. Also, and mentioned in past episodes, the therapeutic attitude of staff and the treatment environment plays an extremely important role. I know it's a lot easier said than done, and it's a very common occurrence for mental health service staff to be generally hostile to people with personality disorders, and they are viewed as just acting up or being untreatable. I don't know why I'm putting, I'm, I'm sort of mimicking air quotes. It's very hard to convey air quotes in the <laughs> podcast. Um, so, but yeah, PD patients are usually quite astute in picking up these vibes and so become distrustful of staff and feel rejected. 
Though, if there is a focus on recovery and understanding that interpersonal dysfunction is the symptom they have uh, to manage, therapeutic progress can be made even in quite severe PDs. People may not completely recover, but they may discover a new way of coping or living that reduces the risk to themselves and others. But to do all this, you need to get people to understand their diagnosis of PD. Um, So how do you tell someone that they have a personality disorder? Yeah, it's no surprise that patients try to avoid the diagnosis of PD due to the stigma attached to it and the belief that they have a more mainstream accepted illness like depression, anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. While it doesn't seem too harmful to slap on a diagnosis of depression on a patient to avoid the discussion and the conflict, the treatment for depression varies significantly from personality disorder, and there's a risk that they would be looked at under the lens of depression and end up chugging antidepressants their whole life, with psychiatrists scratching their heads as to why these haven't worked. Right. In other words, not getting the proper help they need. Absolutely. What I find helps is explaining PD um, as a part or a product of their upbringing, so not being their fault, but also that they can and should do something about it by taking responsibility for their situation now. You could say that when people go through a tough time growing up, their ability to cope with stressful situations are affected, and they don't deal with things in the best way. Some people cope by lashing out at others, some direct the hatred to themselves, and some people may be anxious or distrustful of people in general. At this point, the patient might go, oh yeah, that's totally me all over, and this was how my childhood was like, etc, etc. And then, that's when you hit them with a, well, what I've just explained is how personality disorder develops, and I'm glad that this helps you to understand your situation. So basically, you reverse Uno card them and make them say it themselves instead of saying that they have a personality disorder. That kind Bam. of that kind of sounds sneaky, but I guess it's important to help people make sense of uh, things themselves. Well, sneaky is what I do, and I do it well. <laughs> Let's talk about PD prognosis. PDs can take a remitting and relapsing course, with mild cases of PD remitting completely in time and with interventions, so it's not all doom and gloom. There is also limited evidence that risky or dysfunctional behaviours extinguish over time, with cluster B being more uh, likely to remit uh, than cluster C or A. Stuff that tends to improve the prognosis includes uh, things like age being less than 25, good functioning at work or school in the two years prior to the study, no history of childhood sexual abuse, no family history of substance misuse, uh, absence of other comorbid psychiatric illness, and low neuroticism. Yes, or as Mali puts it, low eroticism as well. That would apply. The, the not-so-good part about PD prognosis is that rel- relapse is fairly common. In follow-up studies on borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, a third were shown to have remitted completely, a third were the same, and a third got worse. Those who don't recover can be fairly disabled by their disorder, and sadly, there isn't much we can do for them. 
A small group of them also have a high risk of completed suicide, with around 10% of EUPD patients doing so. Yeah, and as this is a chronic risk and tied to their personality, it can be hard to predict and prevent. While admission may make loved ones and even doctors feel better in containing risk, detaining people is not very useful in the long run. In most patients, it's more a desire to escape their problems or a way to get help. Patient may also die from misadventure, for example, trying to overdose to attend A&E and be admitted, and accidentally ending their lives. And so on, on, that, on that note, that about wraps up this episode. Um, to recap the main bits, personality is likely both a consistent part of you and a flexible jelly that tries to mold <laughs> the scenarios you put it in. Trait theory explains personality by a combination of traits, or in other words, how a person thinks, feels, or acts. Ocean, or the Big Five, is one model that has uh, started from this. And also, there's no such thing as a bad trait. Personality disorders are deeply ingrained and maladaptive ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving, leading to distress and impaired personal and social functioning. It is problematic, pervasive, and persistent. PDs are developmental disorders that can grow when genetic vulnerability meets stressful childhood environments. They can also be acquired in adulthood when there's neural or psychological damage to systems that regulate negative feelings. PDs are currently categorized into three clusters, A, the weird, B, the wild, and C, the worried. Cluster A contains paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypal PDs. Cluster B has antisocial, EUPD, histrionic, and narcissistic. Then, cluster C is anencastic, anxious avoidant, and dependent PDs. This grouping will change in the ICD-11, so any future, 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 future listeners, just be aware. Yep, ICD-11 is changing the dogma in viewing personality disorders, instead focusing on impairment of self and interpersonal personality functioning. Trait qualifiers exist to describe the specific patterns of traits that contribute to any dysfunction, this could be remembered with a mnemonic Asian, uh, and also bear in mind that they still retain the borderline pattern uh, trait qualifiers. The assessment of PD is similar in approach to other psychiatric assessments. The key is to tease out presentations that can mimic other psychiatric illnesses. In the assessment, you may identify other comorbid illnesses that can be treated. The biopsychosocial management is tailored to any dominant traits or issues identified. With national guidelines uh, existing for EUPD and antisocial PD. In patients with only personality disorder, there's limited evidence for medications in terms of overall outcome that you can use to improve symptoms. Likewise, there's limited evidence to how effective psychotherapy is in PD as a whole. As always, do not overlook social aspects of care. The overall aim of management is to allow patients to take responsibility and to improve the understanding of themselves and others. Positive treatment responses often takes time, during which a consistent, good quality therapeutic relationship is essential. With PD, relapses are fairly common. There is not much evidence to say that risky or dysfunctional behaviours ever really disappear. Also, sadly, a small group of patients have a high risk of completed suicide. 
And on that note, thank you for listening if you've made it this far. As always, we would love to hear from you. Yep, message us on Twitter at Five Podcasts, like us on Facebook at Sci-Fi Podcasts, or email us at questionsforpp at gmail.com. That's the number four and double letter P's. Have we been updating Twitter? Well, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one to hear it, did it really fall? And if I think we do have enough listeners or viewers or tweeters or followers or whatever you call it. Yeah, well, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) I'll uh, I'll try to I'll try to be a bit more proactive with that. (laughs) Okay. If anyone's listening uh, has any questions, uh, feedback, or ideas for upcoming episodes, please get in touch. In the meantime, our next episode will deal with the two most commonly seen PDs uh, in mental health services, so that's EUPD and antisocial personality disorder. I did say that the categorical approach isn't the best, so it's probably better to explain the next episode as managing problems of borderline and antisocial traits in patients with personality disorder. Anywho, with our current track record, it won't be for another six months. but we'll see. I sometimes surprise myself. Uh, and uh, I think some of my VTubers are taking short breaks for their mental health as well. Uh, anyways, don't, don't forget to subscribe. Again, thanks to Kevin McLeod for the intro and outro music. Well, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and stay well. Malaysian food is overrated. Go get some proper Indian-style food, you pussies. Spice is life. <laughs>